Terms of Enlightenment contains adult language and adult situations and is not appropriate for anyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, our lovely enlightened ones. I'm... You know what, Tony? Maybe, maybe you should do the opening. Hello, our lovely enlightened ones. I'm Tony. And, and I'm Nathan. I, mean, I, I like our lovely enlightened ones. I just feel like when I say it, it sounds creepy. Like... I'm going to lure our listeners into a cellar, throw them into a cauldron, and cook them level creepy. It sounds fine e when you say it. Exactly. And if he had a cellar, I would be worried if I was you folks. I don't. Well, anyway, once again, I'm Nathan. And I'm Tony. And welcome to another episode of The Terms of Enlightenment. Hey, Tony. Yes. Guess what? What? We're doing a true crime episode. Sweet. I love true crime episodes. Today, we're going to be enlightened about the 1906 Asheville Massacre. So, Tony, what do you know about the Asheville Massacre? Nothing. What, which Asheville is this? Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, okay. I've been in Ash Asheville, North Carolina. A very lovely place. It is. It is. I mean, not so much in 1906, but we'll get there. No, 1907 and 1905, it was a wonderful place to be. Well, I mean, in only, only a short time during 1906, but I digress. Let's begin by traveling to North Carolina. All right, let's do it. Wee jet plane. Asheville is a picturesque little mountain town nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains at the junction of the French Broad and Swannanoa Rivers in North Carolina. Okay. It's at the narrow part of the state. Uh, it's about 30 miles from both the Tennessee and South Carolina borders. Right, yeah. The area where Asheville is started as part of the Cherokee Nation as mm -hmm. most of this part of the country did. True, yeah. In 1785, Colonel Samuel Davison was granted la the land where Asheville will be uh, by the state of North Carolina. Okay. In 1792, Buncombe County was established, and the city of Morristown was declared its county seat. In 1797, Morristown was renamed to Asheville after Samuel Ashe. Now... Who was Samuel Ashe, you may ask? Absolutely. Who was he? Well, Samuel Ashe helped to write the North Carolina Constitution. Okay. He was the first judge to hold court in the state of North Carolina. Oh, wow. And he was governor of North Carolina from 1795 to 1798. So he's pretty important in North Carolina. Yeah. And so they chose to name the city after him. That makes sense to me. And I mean, you know, nothing against any Morris town out there, but eh, Asheville does kind of flow off the tongue a little more. It does sound a lot better. When I think Morristown, I think Morristown, Ohio. Eh, same. Yeah. And except for Cousin Jason living there. It's just, there's not a lot there. There's a great restaurant there. There really is. But you know who owns that? I do. Cousin Jason. He does. It's still a great restaurant. <laughs> Shout out to Cousin Jason. We love you, buddy. Like, and, 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 and to, uh, yeah, great restaurant. Definitely should go there. Absolutely. Anyway. The 1880s saw the railroad come to Asheville, and with it, an influx of people looking for rest and relaxation. Okay. Among those people was George Vanderbilt, who purchased 120,000 acres and built the extravagant Biltmore Estate. That is a shitload of land. Uh, and he actually had the back gardens designed by the same guy who made Central Park in New York. Oh, wow. The Biltmore Mansion is like a castle. If you get the chance to go, it is... It's worth seeing at least once. Right. Now, see, I've been to Asheville, but I've never seen the Biltmore Castle. So I'm going to have to go there one day and check that out. It is very neat. Well, the Vanderbilts, uh, they made their fortune in transportation, railroads, steamboats, etc. 
Yeah. And they brought that money to Asheville. Oh, yeah, big money. So that's Asheville. Now let's travel forward about 20 years from the 1880s to 1906. All right. Time travel. Time travel. Asheville, in the early 20th century, was a fairly large and very modern city for a city in that area. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of that having to do with that sweet, sweet Vanderbilt money and influence. Absolutely. Despite that, it was also a serene <laughs> mountain town. It was an unlikely scene for the death and carnage that was about to follow. Oh, no. So, this episode will be available to you listeners later. But for you and I, Tony, today, yep. November 12th, right, is the 117th anniversary of the day a man by the name of Will Harris came to Asheville in what would be the beginning of one of the largest massacres in the city's history. Wow. So, who was this Will Harris, you may ask? Who was he? Let's talk about him. Will Harris was a convicted felon. Okay. His crimes included theft and assault, and one source also included arson. So, not not a great guy. Pretty shady guy, yeah. He was actually declared an outlaw in 1903 by the North Carolina magistrates. Yeah. Not a great guy. But he was great at one thing. What was he great at? Escaping from prison. Oh, damn it. In 1901, he escaped from a chain gang in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. Oh, no. That's the county that contains the city of Charlotte. Right. He was captured and sent to the county jail, where he escaped. Damn it. Once again, he was tracked down and captured. This time, he was sent to the state prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. He put a personal ad in the prison newspaper that read, Male seeking companionship for those balmy North Carolina nights. Dislikes include sheriffs, shackles, and extra slippery soap. <laughs> Likes include long walks along the cell block at dusk, toilet wine, and escaping prison. <laughs> okay, so I made that part up. He didn't put out a personal ad. What he actually did was, you guessed it, escaped. Fuck! This time hiding... Why did we not have fences back then? There is no fence that can hold... The outlaw Will Harris. Oh, damn it. This time he escaped in a wagon full of bricks. Wow. He hopped a train, crossed the state of North Carolina, yeah. to the sleepy town of Asheville, yep. seeking to rekindle his relationship with Molly Maxwell. Was that an old high school sweetheart or something? I'm not sure how they met. Okay. No, no but he count. knew her previously Yes. at some point in time. Yes. And okay. He, he's looking to actually you know, get back together. He's trying to court her, take her out. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. For real this time. This isn't like a made-up personal ad. This this is true. This is really happening. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And he decided his prison duds weren't enough to impress a classy lady like Molly. No, I don't think they would be. So he headed to the store and got himself some new clothes. Okay. And a bottle of bourbon. Nice. And a Savage three hundred three rifle. Oh, we well, gotta have one of those. Which, I mean, really tied the whole outfit together. Right. He actually tried on several rifles before settling on that one. What did he start with? Well, he was actually torn between that and a twenty-two Winchester, but he was a classy enough gentleman to know that you don't wear a Winchester after Labor Day. Absolutely not. Everybody knows that. Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely. White and Winchesters after Labor Day, it's a no-go. Why is the white thing? I get the Winchester. I one. don't know. I, maybe because it rhymes with Winchester, kind of, sort of? Or maybe. does it go begin with a W? I don't know. Somebody uh, can tell us in the comments. Yeah. Uh, well, he took his new courting outfit, complete with rifle and bourbon, and headed to an area of Asheville called Hell's Half Acre in search of Molly. Oh, sweet. He wouldn't find her. Oh, no. Whether she had learned of his latest escape and sought to get away, or just needed a change of scenery, she had moved to the neighboring town of Hendersonville, 20 miles away. That's probably good for her, though. 
It really is. What Harris did find upon entering what he thought to be Molly's apartment was her sister Pearl Maxwell. Oh, poor, poor Pearl. Now in Harris's heart, Molly would always be Mrs. Wright. But Pearl, well, she was Mrs. Wright here. Right. She's Mrs. Wright now. Harris turned on the charm and Pearl fell. Hard. Or had Stockholm Syndrome. Or was being held at gunpoint. We may never know, and accounts vary. Could be a combination of any of those things. Could be. In one account, she actually cooked him a nice meal, and the two sat down for a fancy dinner. I gotta be honest with you, if somebody had a gun in my back, I'd cook him a fancy meal, too. That is fair. Now, I do want to talk about this for a second. Okay. Accounts vary on this point, but how the fuck would anyone outside of Harris and Pearl, the only two people in the apartment that night, have any idea what happened? And I, I, I don't know. I mean, unless she told her story later on. Did she live to tell about it? She did. But I really doubt after everything that's going to happen, she's going to be like, oh, yeah, I was totally charmed by that Will Harris. Because uh, not a very popular dude in Asheville after tonight. No, definitely doesn't sound like it. No. Uh, what all accounts do agree on okay. is she allowed him to stay until her boyfriend, Tony, that's with an E, Oh, that's not how you spell Tony with a for a boy? Yeah, with no no, with an E between the N and the Y. No, that's not a T O N Y. That's the only way you spell boy Tony. Yeah. Well, till he got home. Okay. Now some accounts say that this Tony was a jealous man. Okay. And he didn't like that Harris was making time with his best gal. I mean, I don't blame him. Wait, this this is nineteen oh six, not nineteen fifty six. He didn't take kindly to Harris shacking up with his turtle dove. I wouldn't take kindly to it either. I actually did look up uh, you know, 1906 expressions of love to, to, to write that sentence. I mean, that makes sense. I, that's something that I could definitely see you doing. Yeah. Well, I am nothing if not predictable. That's absolutely true, and I love you for it. Harris, who had spent the day drinking bourbon and had a rifle. Nice. Didn't take kindly to Tony's not taking kindly. I, I, I could see where he wouldn't take kindly to not being taken kindly to. And he raised said rifle with the intention of making Tony no more. Oh, no. Tony, who had plans that included remaining unshot... Absolutely. ...made a hasty retreat to the local police station. He told police about Harris, and Captain John Page and Officer Charles Blackstock made their way to Pearls to investigate. When the police approached the door to the apartment, Harris fired his rifle through the door. Oh, damn. And into the chest of Officer Blackstock. Oh no, did he make it? Well, some accounts say he died instantly. Some say he died later from his wounds. I personally hope he died instantly. The other option would not have been pleasant. Yeah, I would also choose to die instantly. And then slowly from a bullet wound to the chest? Absolutely, that would suck. Harris fired again. And possibly again. And again. Seriously, by the end of this story, you'll think he has a magic rifle that no matter how many times you fire it, it never runs out of bullets. Damn. Anyway, one of the subsequent shots passes through the fleshy bit of Captain Page's arm. Oh, no. In the commotion, Harris did what Will Harris did best. Escaped to the apartment. Of course he did. He's fucking Houdini. He staggered drunkenly down Eagle Street, shooting at anything and everything that crossed his path, and shouting that he, Will Harris was the devil, that he had come from hell and to hell he would return sooner rather than later. Oh, damn. And perhaps he was. Yeah, he might have been. 
I mean, a rifle that never runs out of ammunition and a physics-defying accuracy. Absolutely. Jeezel. I like to imagine that one dark night after escaping jail or something, Will Harris was target shooting at a crossroad in rural North Carolina when he was approached by a strange man who offered him a magic rifle that never missed or ran out of ammo. You know the rest, listeners. I do. Hey, let me ask you this. Do you think the devil cares more about souls that he cons out of people or more about people who are willing to give their soul? I think the willing. Really? Yeah. I would have thought it would be the other way. I would have thought it would be more exciting for the devil to con somebody out of their soul than somebody who's just like, take my soul, I'm not using it. I don't know. I feel like it's much more of a victory if, if he, you know, if they just offer it willingly to him. He's I like, don't know. I've, yeah, but I think the devil is more about the idea of corruption. Eh, he probably is. And maybe, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about here, if, folks. If you're corrupt enough that, uh, you know, you're just giving away your soul, then the devil's done his job. That's true. He has, yeah. Yeah, maybe you're right. Hard to say. I mean, you know, neither of us know the devil personally. That's true. Or at least not that we're willing to admit. Absolutely. Or aware of. This is true. So back to that night. Mm -hmm. Injured but still alive, Captain John Page makes it back to the police station to get reinforcements in the form of Officer John Bailey. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, on Eagle Street, Will, the Devil Harris, continues his bloody rampage. A man named Walter Corpening crossed paths with Harris on his way home from work and was shot dead. Benjamin Addison, a local shopkeeper, shot dead. Damn. A stray dog in the alley. Shot dead. Oh, not the dog. Yeah, dog too. Tom Neal, a local man, just standing on his front porch, shot in the groin. Ouch. A wound from which he would later die. Oh, damn. Well, again, uh, probably easier to die than live with that. Absolutely. I mean, if you have to live without a sausage the rest of your life, you might as well just check out. No, I just mean the pain. Well, it probably hurt like hell, too. I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, by this time, the wounded Captain Page and Patrolman Bailey had caught up with Harris. Page's wounded arm was so swollen, he was unable to draw his weapon. Jeez. However, the unwounded Bailey engages in a firefight with Harris. Okay. Bailey takes shelter behind a telephone pole. Was he a skinny bastard? Yes, he was. Okay. This will be the last poor decision he would ever make. Oh, he got him? A bullet from Harris's magic rifle goes through the 12-inch telephone pole and buries itself in Bailey's chest. Ah, shit. Adding yet another death to that bloody night. Damn it. We should probably mention, viewers, we looked up after the pause here. It's a 30 caliber rifle, the 303. So basically, it's a a pretty big badass bullet going really fast. Yeah, and... uh... It, it uh, we watched a video. It it it, looks it does like a it lot of damage. A Absolutely, pole. yeah. With this final murder, Harris continued down the street, causing more property damage and terror, before disappearing into the woods, leaving the town of Asheville stained in blood. Damn. So was that five or six people he killed? Uh five, I believe, by the end. Five and a dog. Two police officers, three people, and a dog. Yes, wow. five people. That's ridiculous. The sleepy town of Asheville had woken up and cried for revenge. Yeah? That cold, rainy November morning, nearly 300 men arrived in the town square, their clothes soaked from the rain, seeking to end the life of Harris. Go get him. The police divided these angry men into 12 dripping wet posses. Oh, I love a wet posse! Because of the rain, obviously. Absolutely. They were armed with 125 guns borrowed from a local pawn shop, 
and the manhunt began. The police also informed the railroad, believing Harris may attempt to make his escape by train. The railroad began an exhaustive search of every train leaving the area, and also sent for a special train from Spartanburg to bring bloodhounds to aid in the search. Go get him, dogs. The train arrived, and a bloodhound by the name of Biscuit Eater led Damn the search for right. Harris. You think he had puppies and they called him Son of a Biscuit Eater? I mean, if, if you had a dog named Biscuit Eater whom had puppies and one was a, a, a boy puppy, yes, I would definitely have to say. You would have to name uh, a yeah, Son of a I mean, Biscuit Eater. Obviously. Otherwise, you would go to prison. If you were Will Harris, you'd just escape. <laughs> That's true. Harris was found eight miles away in a barn outside the nearby town of Fletcher. Okay. One of the posses chased him into a laurel thicket. Harris fired his rifle at the posse, keeping them at bay. Was the posse still wet at this time? Uh, no, I think they, they may have dried out. Dried off a point. little bit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What the outlaw didn't realize was that the posse had sent for reinforcements. One hundred armed men arrived on the scene and quietly surrounded the thicket in which Harris was hiding. Oh, shit. The order was given to fire, and the once deadly outlaw who had terrorized the town was riddled with bullets from every direction. Oh, my God. By the time the firing stopped, the body was an unrecognizable hunk of meat. So Bonnie and Clyde style. Yeah. Someone claimed to have counted over a hundred bullet holes in the now dead Harris. That's a lot of counting. It is. I mean, who took the time? I wouldn't have. Mm. I would have said, that's a shitload of holes in that guy, and he's clearly dead. Now, here's a, a spot where accounts diverge. Okay. When I first heard this story... It was said that his mangled body was hung in the town square as a warning to any other criminals of how Asheville deals with their kind, and that only a few days on display the body had to be removed because people would shoot at it as they traveled past. <laughs> Damn. Another account said the body was sent off to the coroner, who was unable to identify the mangled remains, and after several days issued a statement that said it was probably Harris. Wow, I imagine it would be hard. It probably just got a, a couple of bones and some ground beef. and Yeah, pretty much. We're said, here, tell me if this was Harris. This is either Will Harris or several pounds of ground beef. Exactly. One right. of the two. Jeez, you figured it out. You're the doctor. That's why we pay you all that money. What we do know is that the bounty for his capture was donated to the widows of Officer Blackstock and Bailey. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. And Harris's seemingly magic rifle was gifted to the wounded Captain Page. Okay, that's good. The only physical evidence left of that violent night is said to be a chip in the Vance Monument in what is now Pack Square in Asheville. Okay. Or it was. Oh, what happened to it? The monument was demolished in the summer of 2021. Oh, no, why? It was uh, dedicated to a racist Confederate general. Ah, oh, racist bastards. Yeah. The base, where the, the supposed chip would be, is still there. Yeah. But the monument is closed permanently, and at least from what I read and saw, you couldn't get close enough to see the chip. Oh, okay. So you could go see it, but they wouldn't let you get close enough to see the little bullet chip out of it. There's boards up around it and oh, everything. Okay. You you couldn't so see it, could it be if you wanted to. Bullshit for all you know. It could just be well a replica or whatever. Yeah. There are accounts. It was said that American novelist Thomas Wolfe, while okay. just a young boy, yeah. was asleep only a few blocks from the massacre. Afterwards, he would climb the fence to the Vance Memorial and feel the bullet hole with his fingers. Yeah. He would later use the events as the inspiration for his short story, The Child by Tiger. Okay. So, Tony, that was the 1906 Asheville Massacre. You feeling more enlightened? I definitely am. And, and honestly, I had never heard of this. So, 
I'm glad that you brought it to me. When I first heard this, uh, my wife and I had taken a uh, trip to Asheville, small vacation. Right. And we went on a ghost tour and really, really great ghost tour. Uh, went into a lot of history of the city. And this was one of the stories they told. Yeah. And so thought it would be actually a great true crime thing to do for uh it was awesome i enjoyed the hell out of it yep that was our first true crime episode we hope to do many more and many other topics and we'd like to do ones that aren't necessarily as known as you know jack the ripper and jeffrey dahmer and all that so if you guys have any suggestions please let us know yeah uh you can find us on facebook under the terms of enlightenment message us there or email us at terms of enlightenment, all one word, all one word, at gmail.com. Please like and share our content and send us ideas for shows you'd like to hear. We're always happy to hear from our lovely enlightened ones. Thank you. One of these days, I'm going to figure out a way to say it where it doesn't sound creepy. We'll work on it, folks. Well, anyway, I'm Nathan. I'm Tony. And this has been the Terms of Enlightenment. Have an enlightening day. Always tip your weight, staff. Ne- never stop learning. Support your local library. You know what? Um, in addition to ideas for shows, send us a catchphrase, please. We'll work on that also, listeners. All right. Good night. Good night.